First question is a follow-up from last week, and it says, you skipped the last part of the demon question. I talked with two, S, uh, two SDAs, one a common reason follower and the other a radical SDA. They both argued that demon possession is mind control uh, because pigs were driven over the cliff by demons entering them. I'm so confused. Just want to know if demons physically enter and take control of your mind brain or stay external and only influence behavior. So I think you're, div- I did answer this question last week. Uh, but I think we're having some um, talking past each other because we're using different terminology. You have put mind slash brain as if you see them the same. They're not. The brain is the structure, the physical structure of our part of our body. The mind is the, you might be, call it the, the, the operational system and the electrical energy produced by the brain. Okay? So, so, um, in my view, demons never enter physiologically and house the cellular occupation of a body. They do influence the electrical and thought processes that one has through a variety of, re- of ways, through emotional, uh, and by getting people to believe, uh, believe lies, the, the thoughts we have, the beliefs that we hold, to inciting emotions and fears and insecurities and so forth. So they influence through non corporeal ways to get the mind to take charge of the brain activity, and then the mind taking charge of the brain activity directs the behavior. So that's what happens. It's not physical control. It's control of the thought processes and emotions that then the person under the influence... And if you want to see this in a human example, think of any cult worshiper in a cult or somebody who's under a, say, hypnotic influence of another human being. That human being who is now influencing their decision-making is not occupying the cells of their brain. But they've gotten into their head and are influencing their thought patterns and have connected with them on some emotional level to influence their emotions, to get them to surrender agency, to do what they've been taught or programmed to do. That is a form of mind control, but it's not occupying the brain. Yes. Same with the Holy Spirit? Exactly not the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, um, when under the influence of the Holy Spirit, there's a high sense of freedom. The Spirit only works by persuading us of the truth in love and leaving us free, and we never get power for transformation until we freely choose it. That's how we, are, we retain our identity and we develop what's called self-control, last fruit of the Spirit, not Holy Spirit control. So the Holy Spirit leads us in the truth with love, that we then choose, and then we're given divine power to overcome old neural pathways and habit patterns to establish new neural pathways and habit patterns, which changes our brain as we're following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But we are, we are the active agent in the choice. The Holy Spirit is not the active agent in the choice. The Holy Spirit's the active agent to lead us to the truth and the points of decision-making, but the Holy Spirit never makes a decision except to reject the truth. So this questioner is asking for me to explain why I didn't answer a particular question last week. (laughs) And I've thought about this, and I'm going to tell you first off, if you're watching, it saddens me that you presented this. And it saddens me that you're asking me to explain, but but I'm going to. And it saddens me for a variety of reasons. One, I think there's a high likelihood you're going to tune out after I give you the answer. Because I don't think you actually want the answer. And that saddens me. I'm going to give you the reason why I didn't answer it, or excuse me, why I didn't read the question. Maybe you have heard in the past that there's no such thing as a bad question. All questions are good questions. That's a lie. That's an absolute falsehood. 
In Eden, there was a question asked. Did God really say that all the trees of the garden you may not eat? That question was a bad question. It wasn't a good question. It was an evil question. Why was it an evil question? Because that question was not in the pursuit of truth. That question was designed to introduce falsehood and rebellion, introduce doubt. And there are questions that are not actually from, uh, intended to lead into the truth. The question you asked last week was one of those questions. It was designed, if I would have read it, to mislead and deceive people, to confuse people. I'm going to give a metaphor for you to, to demonstrate in a very obvious way something that was not obvious in your question. And I'll let you apply it. And, my, and, and here's, the, here's, here's the metaphor to the question you asked last week. I know somebody who wants to be an airline pilot, but they've never been able to get their license because they have bad vision. But they jabbed a pencil in their eye. And after jabbing a pencil in the eye, they now have perfect 20-20 vision. And they were able to go to flight school. They got a, a pilot's license and they're working uh, successfully for Delta now. And they've got a great paying job. So what's wrong with jabbing a pencil in your eye? That was your question last week. You presented something that is factually and objectively a lie as if it was truth. And then you claimed what's wrong with doing the lie because it results in this good thing and this good... It does not. People may declare they have good vision with a pencil in their eye, but they do not have good vision with a pencil in their eye. So that's why I didn't answer your question. So you made a good point when speaking of tithes and offerings to institutions that are not teaching truth. Can you rectify that with Jesus saying to make the required sacrifices to the temple, presenting one's self to the priests to be declared clean, the lepers, uh, to the widow being uh, praised for giving all she had, the two mites, to the institution of the day that he knew to be corrupt? Yes, it's quite easy, straightforward. Look at the flow of time and the history of what's happening. He said to the woman at the, uh, at the well, salvation is of the, of the Jews. Was there any other organization on earth at the time of Christ through which Messiah was coming? There was no other organization you could support and actually find salvation. None. Absolutely none. It was through the Jewish people, the actual genetic descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Messiah was coming, the branch of the family tree. Additionally, God had blessed those people with the inspired writings. And even though the leadership was misrepresenting those inspired writings, you would find the best source of inspired truths in those communities at that time. And if you went there yourself into the synagogue and, and were able to access and read the scrolls or hear the things, and then the theatrical enactments, if you actually just allowed the Holy Spirit to lead your mind and, and prayerfully understand what was being acted out, there was truth in those enactments as well. And so that system designed by God was designed to teach the truth of the plan of salvation and through which Messiah was coming. And there was nothing else on earth you could go and support that would have a better place that you could support at that time. But having rejected that truth, crucified the Messiah, did the truth stay? So, for instance, was it true 
all the way up until AD 31 that the Messiah was coming through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Was that true all the way up until then? Is it true today that Messiah is still coming through those people? So is it true today, is it a truth today that we should be watching the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the Messiah? No. No. And so if you rejected that truth that was true, if you reject and you still look for that historic truth that was fulfilled, but you deny it was fulfilled and you're still looking for it today, you're no longer in the truth, you're in the darkness. And so the truth, the truth is unfolding, it's developing, it's advancing. And we're either moving with the truth or we're being left in the darkness. That's how reality works. And so after Christ's resurrection and ascension, the truth was moving forward and the early apostles were still trying, trying to convert the Jewish people to the truth. But we know what happened. They rejected it as a, not, not every individual, but system-wise, the system, the, the general conference Sanhedrin did not accept it. They didn't, and the leadership didn't. Individuals did, but that system has remained a system of ritual that no longer contains light. And then in Christianity, we find the same thing happening. This is historically taught, so where do we place our tithe? So the argument being alleged or being insinuated is that because Jesus had, uh, did not suggest they put their money other places, that even if our church today isn't presenting the gospel anymore, we should still give our money to the church. That's the, the suggestion here. Well, the Roman church can make that argument. Any reformed church can make that argument. The Lutheran church, the, the Methodist church, the Baptist church. Uh, the, 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 they could come along and say, yeah, well, so we, we're not teaching everything right, but look, uh, look at the Jewish church. And Jesus said, give the mites there still. So we should still give your mites to our, our church. Or, or whoever made this argument, would you tell the Roman Catholic that they should continue to pay their tithes to the Roman church? Would you tell them that today? Or the Methodist or the Baptist? Then why would you say it to the Adventist? Shouldn't it based be on you should ask the Holy Spirit to lead you where the gospel is being presented and where he would have you support the gospel ministry. And you give your support to the, to the advancement of the final message of mercy to lighten the world for Christ's return. And that's where you send your support. Shouldn't you ask that? Or should you just simply say, well, in times past, that was, in fact, why aren't we giving our money to some Jewish temple today? Why aren't we doing that? I mean, to go to your argument, let's all give our money to a Jewish synagogue. So this is my point, and I, so I stand by my point, and I don't think there's any correction or rectifying to be made in my point. And the point is that the tithe is not our money, it's God's money, and it is to be used for the advancement of the gospel. And each person needs to assess whether they believe that what they're supporting is actually advancing the gospel or not. And I'm not telling people where to put the money. I never call for that. I call for people to be responsible in their relation with God for where they put the money. Why can't I connect with God? I feel untethered, loose. Prayers go no higher than my head. Since it is clear that he is angry with me, why bother? Since my loss of faith, I can't seem to reconnect with him. Just wondering how to connect with him. Well, of course I could never answer this question. I don't know the circumstances of your life. I don't know the beliefs that you hold. I don't know the issues resolved or unresolved that you need to work through. 
Uh, I can tell you though, you've suggested one idea that could be a barrier in your ability to act with God, and that is, since it is clear that he is angry with me, unquote, uh, unquote. That's what you wrote. Well, you know, most of the time, if you believe there's a powerful being who's angry at you, you actually don't want to get close to them. You want to be distant from them. And so if your current belief is God is angry at you, while you say you want to get close to him, there's some part of you that clearly doesn't want to get close to him. So you might want to investigate this idea of where you believe God is angry at you and recognize God is not angry at any of his children any more than a parent is angry at a child who's being unruly. What they're angry at is all the activities, behaviors, or choices that are hurting the child. And they want to redeem the child from whatever it is the child's doing that's destructive. You've mentioned on several occasions how some people feel you can only wade a certain depth into water on Sabbath. I think they were probably raised on this quote, and this is a quote out of uh, Third Selected Messages 258. Quote, pleasure-seeking, ball-playing, swimming was not a necessity, but a sinful neglect of the sacred day sanctified by Jehovah, unquote. Why would it be a sinful neglect? I'm sure swimming to save someone from drowning is not a sinful neglect. (laughs) You would be correct immediately because that's going to be altruistic. So it really goes dependent on how you understand law. If you understand law as a system of rules that you must obey, then you're a rule breaker because we're not, we're not given permission to do these behaviors. And you're in legal trouble in the same way going 35 in a 30 zone, you've broken the rule. This is how many people were raised to believe. But if you understand design law and what I said about the Sabbath, Jesus said that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Gymnasiums were made for people. People were not made for gymnasiums. Now think about that. If there's a gymnasium full of all types of exercise equipment, that if you avail it, uh, if you avail yourself of it, you gain all types of benefits from the exercising on the equipment, don't you? But if you neglect it, don't go there, then you don't gain any. So sinful neglect. Okay, the Sabbath was given for us to strengthen our relationship with God, to spend time exercising our rest from selfish pursuits. This pleasurable business here is something you want to do in lieu of your relationship with God. And so this will be a neglect. You won't strengthen your faith. You won't strengthen your connection. You won't strengthen your love. Not by the behavior, but by the selfish pursuit of the behavior. If your behavior was done, for instance, you're sitting around on Sabbath afternoon, noon, floating in your pool with a group of friends having a Bible study, and you're talking about these things, and I've done that before. This is not sinful neglect because the water is above my knee. It's, be, it's I'm the, the hot summer day. We're having a, a, a Bible uh, session in cool water. Okay? It, it really is the motive of the act, not the act itself. But if you're legal, it doesn't matter what your motive was. You broke the rule. The rule said don't, don't swim. And that's the real problem. 2 Kings 13, 20, 21 states where Elisha's bones resurrected a corpse. How are we to review and interpret this event uh, in, with a, a correct understanding. So the context, just read the context, what's happening in Israel, who's, who is, uh, what's going on. There were some soldiers, they were, they were running from enemies that were attacking. They threw one of their dead comrades in. He hits the bones of Elijah, he comes back to life, he comes out. Do you think they ran a little faster? <laughs> okay, 
The same thing with the she-bears. The context, the, the people of Israel were having a lack of faith. And God was using anything he could just to help them. Remember Elisha. Remember the message that came out. And remember Elijah when he called you back. To, this is all about drawing attention back to the message of the two messengers so that they would turn their hearts back and stop this rebellion and moving away, which they, which they continue to do anyway. So it's just God working in any way he can to draw their attention back to the true message. We are debt-free and would love to buy a home, but are concerned about taking such a large debt and are also so unsure of the times in which we're living in of whether or not it would be a good time to buy a home or take on a huge debt. Do you have any advice at all? Yes, any advice. To the degree we can avoid any type of debt, I recommend it. I can't tell the circumstances whether you should or shouldn't, but to the degree you can avoid debt, the deeper in debt you get, the less freedom you have. You'll be pressured. You'll be coerced. Uh, you'll have a job. You've got you to service the debt. Uh, they'll come along in the employer and say, and if you don't participate in this medical experimentation, you're going to lose your job. And if you lose your job, your house will get foreclosed on. And, and all that money you've been putting in. And you may only owe, uh, you know, you may only owe $25,000 on it right now. And you've been paying on it for 15 years. Uh, but if you don't uh, make that last one, they'll foreclose on it and use your house. So you're going to go and take that medical experimentation because you've got to keep your, you're not free to actually do what your conscience wants anymore if you're in debt. Oftentimes, you can be pressured. So to the degree you can avoid debt, but at the same time, you, there, there are realities in this world. You might need a home to live in. It's better to have perhaps that debt and be willing to walk away and lose the property. And the way you can handle that would be really, really, really acting as a steward. This isn't gonna be my home anyway. This is the Lord's. He's only given us this to steward for him while we're here. And if circumstances come and he comes to me like he did Lot and said, hey, tonight you need to leave your home and leave and it's all going to be destroyed. You can take a backpack with you, but you don't have time to set up that, that U-Haul and take a truckload of stuff with you. Time to go. Or the, the people in eighty seventy when the army is circled, said, don't, he said, don't even go back. Don't even go back to the house for a coat. Get out. And if you have that kind of understanding, that's the Lord's house anyway. I'm just the steward of it. And you're willing to walk away and let, let the chips fall because you're trusting the Lord and he is leading... <laughs> It'll all be okay. Um, so either way, and this is where you have to ultimately go before the Lord, pray, come to your own conclusion, and decide based on the leading of the Holy Spirit what's best in your circumstance. I don't think there's any way to set up a rule like this that will apply to every life and every home in all circumstances. But those are the ideas involved in the process. And was there one other question here? No? Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you again for your love. Help us to understand and discern your principles and learn how to apply them in our lives to live holy and healthy lives that bring glory to you. We pray in your holy name. Amen.